Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle Jobin, and you are listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. This podcast is dedicated to helping family caregivers in Ontario. Through expert tips and resources, you will gain knowledge and validation for the ups and downs that come with caregiving. More importantly, you'll learn that you're not alone. It's so important to take this time for yourself. We're glad you're here. Today we are joined by Allegra Pierce, a young caregiver. Allegra, thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thanks for having me. We wanted to create a space where Ontario caregivers could connect and share, and hopefully through our conversation today between the two of us, Allegra, we can gain a little more insight into the special role and responsibility of a caregiver, as well as give caregivers resources for help. And what's really important about talking about your situation is that we've just identified you as a young caregiver because I think often the perception is, you know, a caregiver is someone that's, you know, midlife or older taking care of an older parent or something like that, but your situation is different, but it's not uncommon at all. So I think it's really important to have our chat today uh, so that other people have someone that they can identify with. So you were 22 Allegra when your mother was diagnosed with dementia. Prior to that, did you know anything about dementia or think that it would lead to you becoming a caregiver at some point in your life? I think that uh, I thought that I did um, because my grandmother actually had Alzheimer's. So I did have a personal connection um, with dementia, but um, that just kind of led to me thinking that I knew a bunch of things that I didn't actually, uh, because I was really quite young when she passed away and I didn't see the caregiving side at all because my grandfather was doing that. Um, so really it kind of more led me down a road where I thought I knew what was I talking about, but I was kind of hit with completely new, um, knowledge when I started to, to go down this road. So we know for many young caregivers, it often takes a while before they realize that they are caregivers. And I think maybe even not for young caregivers, it's like suddenly you just gradually end up in this situation and, and then, oh, here I am. Tell us about the moment that you realized that you were a caregiver, that this was your role. Um, yeah, it did take me quite uh, a long time to actually realize uh, what a caregiver was. I don't think I'd ever heard that term before. Um, it was when my mom got diagnosed with dementia, they uh, gave her a general diagnosis, but they kind of realized that she had a different type. Um, most common type is Alzheimer's, but she had frontotemporal dementia um, or FTD. And we didn't realize that until almost a year after when we got a specialist appointment. And it was after that specialist appointment that I got put in touch with a counselor from the Alzheimer's organization. They always assign a family counselor to anyone who's diagnosed. And the very first thing he said when I sat down in his office was, are you your mother's primary caregiver? And that was the first time I'd heard that I had to say, uh, what is that? And then I was like, oh, um, I guess I am. And that was the first time I'd heard it, but I didn't really identify with it. I kind of just thought that there was sort of a box you had to check that, that I was the name. It was a role, but it wasn't something that I thought I was actually doing. It wasn't um, until maybe an entire year after that. So two years after my mom's diagnosis that I really started to look into caregiving resources and start to utilize what was out there to help me. And that was when I started to realize that caregivers was like a community, that there were lots of people out there that they were doing this and that I wasn't alone and that my experiences weren't as isolating as I thought they were. And that was when I realized I was a caregiver. It is, it's a shift for anyone, I think, mentally, emotionally, and in so many other ways. But when you're 22, you're sort of 
barely an adult. I don't say that to diminish anything, but just in the grand spectrum of adulthood, how long you were an adult for, <laughs> you haven't really been there very long. So yeah. to suddenly have this mindset shift where you are the one taking care of the person that took care of you, um, that has to be profound. Yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely kind of a really big shift in my life. And you're right. I was 20. I don't take offense to that at all. I still don't consider myself an adult. I'm 25 now. (laughs) Me too, half the time. And I'm way older than you. So I get it. Yeah. But it, uh, yeah, it was a really big change, um, in my life. I, um, it kind of felt like a crash course in how to be an adult. And I don't think I was even that far behind my peers. Uh, I was asking my friends when things were coming up and they were saying, man, I've never heard of that. And the thing was, I, I couldn't ask my mom, who'd normally be the one that you would go to because she was the one that needed help. And uh, my dad passed away when I was really young. So I had no parental figure to help me kind of navigate this. So I was just kind of like every time something popped up, I had to figure out what it was, then how it worked. And then how it worked for my mom and how I could help her. So I really did add on a whole extra layer on top of that. In addition to trying to be 22, being in university, I was a grad student trying to balance that and everything. So it was definitely a big change. (laughs) So, and to that point, your role entails various responsibilities um, that a lot of people may sort of in a flippant sort of way say fall under the realm of adulting, like paying bills, managing financials. and you're doing this for your mother. Was that something that you had to learn more about? And how did that shift in dynamic affect your relationship with your mother? Yeah, absolutely. I learned so much. Um, And it could be too that the grass is always greener on the other side. But I do feel that if I was maybe 50 instead of 25, um, I maybe have owned my own house and knew some of the the nuts and bolts of those things. I would have been able to see some of the things that were going to come up. Because for me, often I didn't even know that there was something that I didn't know about. Um, and I had no way to find out about it until it was a crisis. There was a bill that hadn't been paid for six months and I didn't even know that bill existed. So there was a lot of learning on the fly um, in that way. So it was quite difficult um, to transition into to taking care of, of my mom's everything, really. Um, and I do think I was really lucky with my mom because when I started to help out, she was really stressed. She knew things were slipping through the cracks, um, but she didn't know why, because she used to be able to do everything and it wasn't that hard. And so suddenly she was kind of in the situation where she wasn't paying these bills and she didn't know why she wasn't able to, and she didn't know how to ask for help. So when I kind of gently came in and started saying, Hey, don't worry, like I'll pay the electricity bill, um, taking things off of her plate, putting them on my plate, she really lost that, that stress and was able to start to enjoy her life a lot more. And she knew it was directly because of me. So she was really thankful to me and and very appreciative and very earnestly appreciative, which I know that with caregiving, it's not always the case, especially with dementia. Um, the person that you're caring for doesn't necessarily connect that, or they may not be able to express that. So I was really lucky with my mom that we do have that communication, On the other hand, there have been plenty of conversations that have ended kind of in a joke of you're the kid, I'm the parent, you know, scoffing at suggestions that I bring in. And it's really hard when you know that they don't see it clearly. Um, And there's also always a grain of truth in that (laughs) I didn't know about it a month ago. (laughs) So it is kind of hard to to stand your ground and say, no, I, I really do know what I'm talking about when you only know because you put so much effort into learning for this specific thing. So that was kind of hard to, um, to navigate those conversations. 
but I just kind of tried to stay patient. And uh, if it was something that was important, be persistent. And if it was something that wasn't important, let it go. You mentioned that you were assigned a, a family counselor, but beyond that, did you, or, or including that, did you receive any outside support with new responsibilities? And, you know, if you could talk to a young caregiver that's listening, perhaps that might be going through a similar situation, what would you say to them if they're feeling overwhelmed? Yeah. So the very first thing that I did when I um, got to the point where I realized I needed help and I started to look for resources, um, which as I mentioned, was quite far in, um, I went to look for peer support groups. Um, and I did find one, I think with the OCO actually, and I signed in and there were four or five people there and they were all over 50, you know, 30 years or more older than me, um, just in a very different stage of life. And so it wasn't really a peer support group for me. Um, so then I started to look for more targeted resources and there were a lot less. Um, but then I did find a under 25 caregiver group. Um, and that was so helpful to me because that was a space where I was able to ask a stupid question, like, how does car insurance work? Like, do I pay this yearly? What? I don't know. Um, and everyone was kind of learning on the same page and we were all balancing school and full-time caregiving. So it was just like a much easier community for me to like connect with. And so that was super, super helpful. And then as it comes, it's not really an outside support, but I had a lot of really incredible um, positive experiences with people helping me along the way. Like, you know, from the bank teller at the bank, insurance brokers, people I'm randomly calling up on the phone, you explain the situation and they understand and they do whatever little piece that they can to help you. Or, you know, it could be as easy as just explaining how insurance works. You know, I was at a point where I needed that at some time. So depending on who I was talking to, they always were incredibly helpful and understanding. And um, that really made me feel much better about the whole thing. So would you suggest to someone else that finds, you know, someone that's in their early twenties, perhaps that finds themselves in a similar situation, would you just say sort of like, don't give up, do your research, speak up, um, reach out to anybody that you can? Yeah, I would say that um, the two things that I wish that I had done earlier was like be really open with the people around you about it because it feels really private and we're not really told how to talk about these things with, you know, not even just friends and family, but also like coworkers or bosses. You maybe need a little bit of help. Um, that was something that it really took a long time for me to figure out how to do. Um, and asking for that help was another thing and, and realizing that you don't need to ask for help specifically with the caregiving side because yeah, maybe, you know, someone else can't handle what you're doing, but the other side, asking your friends to be forgiving if you're irritable or asking for a little bit of an extension on a deadline, things like that, figuring out those kind of things, things that people could give to you that would help. That took me a long time. So really just being open and um, asking for help when you need it. Caring for different ages means providing different kinds of support. That's why the Ontario Caregiver Organization put together a toolkit to help caregivers give the right kind of support to the people they are caring for. Whether you're caring for children and youth or adults and seniors, this toolkit holds resources any caregiver can use. If you're new to caregiving, there is help for you as well. Caregivers across Ontario can equip themselves with everything they need, no matter who they are caring for. Visit ontariocaregiver.ca for more information. Now, back to our episode. Young people across Ontario are caring for loved ones while trying to manage the stresses of work, school, 
and life. If you're a young caregiver looking for support, the Ontario Caregiver Organization offers Young Caregivers Connect. Through Young Caregivers Connect, you can get the support you need. Join a live chat and share stories with other young caregivers. You are not alone. Join the community at youngcaregiversconnect.ca. So you've been in this particular phase of, of being a caregiver for three to four years now? Three years. Three years. So the world has been a very different place in the last two years. <laughs> so it's thing on top of thing. Um, and just a stat to share, as we approach this two-year mark of COVID-19, most caregivers are now dealing with their own challenges, in particular, their mental health. On top of all the other things, 42% of caregivers say their mental health is worse now compared to a year ago. So can you share with us how has caregiving for your mother changed since the start of COVID-19? And I know you were sort of just sort of getting into this in the first year. Mm -hmm. So what has shifted for you? Yeah. So I was um, really only like full-time taking care of my mom for maybe five, six months before COVID. Um, and so the biggest direct effect was that we had started conversations about um, her moving because right at the beginning of COVID, she was living alone in a house um, in a small town. And that's like a lot of upkeep. So we had talked about um, her moving into an assisted living community. And then obviously with COVID, that all stopped because, you know, no visits, no tours, they weren't even accepting new people. Um, so we had to table that. And when the restrictions lifted, you know, six months later, nine months later, um, and we were able to start talking about that again, my mom was no longer in a place where she was willing to talk about it. Uh, she'd adapted to her own new normal. Um, and she was really, uh, didn't want any change. So we had had a little bit of momentum and we had lost it because of COVID. And so that really, um, messed up the plan kind of long-term, but I think that there were a lot more indirect effects. Um, like you said, with mental health, obviously, um, there was a huge mental health uh, burden from COVID and then there was a mental health burden from being a caregiver. And so those stacked on top of each other was hard caregiving. You know, if you're really stressed, often people will say, you know, you've got to take care of yourself. So you've got to get some help, self-help, um, you know, treat yourself. Suddenly COVID was there and I couldn't, I couldn't go out with friends. I couldn't go out to a restaurant. I couldn't do any of those things. So it really limited what I was able to do to try and like relax. And when you have things coming from both sides of your life that are stressing you out, that was kind of an issue <laughs> for sure. So I, you sort of already mentioned how you had this plan about an assisted living, and that might have been one of the resources you were turning to or a plan that you turned to pre-COVID. I'm And obviously there's been a change there. Is there anything else in terms of resources that you have turned to since the beginning of the pandemic? So actually my like, aha, I'm a caregiver moment was post pandemic. Um, so I didn't access any resources. Um, and I regret that. I wish that I had looked for resources earlier. Um, it was hard. Um, and I didn't realize I needed them, but yeah, so it was after, but I do think that the caregiving organizations were kind of ahead of the curve in that they were already designing their resources. The ones that I was accessing, you know, webinars and support groups for a community of people who aren't necessarily able to get out of the house for an extended period of time, or they maybe can scrape together an hour of time for a webinar, but it's not going to be the same time at the same day of every week. So they were already recording everything, putting everything online, making it accessible for flexible schedules. So 
really, I don't think that those resources changed that much. Um, it's more the stuff that was in person that um, would have been uh, stopped. And we weren't accessing too many of those uh, resources at the time. So apparently I've been told that you are working on a research project currently, which studies the impact COVID-19 has had on young caregivers. So can you tell it, which I think it's, I mean, a great thing to do um, for yourself and for others at this time. Can you tell us more about your findings and what motivated you to start this research? Absolutely. So I'm uh, currently working as a research assistant on the team. Um, and I started working because they were looking for young caregivers who would be able to interview other young caregivers and their families. So they had kind of a peer interviewer who had the same experiences. The project has just begun, so we don't have too many um, findings. And it includes multiple interviews with participants over three years to look at the long-term effects of COVID on young caregivers. We want to understand the impact and changes over time that's been caused by COVID-19 and the public health restrictions um, on these young caregivers and their families, and, and also what supports are available for them. We've been looking for young caregivers, family members, service providers, anybody who's involved in the industry really um, to share their experiences in this study. The findings are really preliminary, like I mentioned, um, but you know we're still connecting um, interviews. And I'd love to share some of the experiences I had with the kids that I've talked to you. They are just some of the most incredible kids I've ever you know, met or spoken to. They know so much about their family. They're really empathetic and patient and like way wiser than I was at the age that they are. They help in all sorts of different ways. Um, and it's really amazing because they don't realize how different their life is from other um, kids their age. And they just think it's totally normal that they help out with these chores, their emotional support, they provide um, entertainment and stimulation to the people that they care for. They do all sorts of these crazy things. And during COVID, a lot of them have kind of had to step up a little bit more. There's been changing family dynamics. Um, we've seen lots of people taking roles that they uh, never had before. Some people um, have had trouble accessing supports that they used to. Um, unfortunately, the supports are no longer there, maybe because of restrictions or financial strain. Um, so that's really changed. Um, but the kids overall have been, overall have been um, very positive, very mask and vaccine positive. Even when they're frustrated or annoyed about restrictions, they discuss it with like a level of maturity that sometimes isn't there in the general population. They really understand that it's for the you know betterment of um, everybody, and they don't mind making a small sacrifice so that everybody's protected. Which it's crazy to hear, you know, like a 13 year old kid say that so eloquently when you have other people on both sides making just very heated, very emotional arguments. And they're able to just kind of take a step back and really like think about it. These kids are incredibly mature. And I think overall the OCO and other um, young caregiver organizations who are actually partners on the project, like the Young Caregivers Association and Young Carers Program, they're gonna benefit from the research and hopefully it'll be part of the push to get young caregivers recognized by the national government. Because right now there's nothing about young caregivers in national legislation. In other places like the UK and Australia, young caregivers have been recognized and supported for many years. And there are tons of programs and supports available, but Canada is really behind these other places. Why do you think that is? Do you think, do you think that based on your experiences, do you think it's possible that people underestimate the abilities of a younger person to be a caregiver? Do you, or do you just, do you think people underestimate the possibility of it happening? 
I, um, I definitely think that people underestimate um, the ability of young people to do kind of anything, um, and that includes caregiving. I've heard um, a lot of on the phone with people, oh, you sound so young, you know, right after I've explained the whole thing. And I'm coming, usually I'm coming with like, I've done all, all the background knowledge that I can, and they're always kind of surprised. So there's definitely a little bit of underestimation, but I think the reason why they're not necessarily so um, recognized here is that, um, the community, like, like we, I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but when you think of a caregiver, you usually think of someone older and that's kind of the stereotypical like association. Like you're maybe 50 and you're taking care of your, your uh, parent who needs some help. And that happened to me when I was 25, just by chance. Um, but I didn't identify with that community. So it's harder to hear those voices. Mm -hmm. And so having those programs out there for people under 25, um, that's really a great first step because once you start to have people involved in that and um, see their numbers, then you can start to actually target them with research just like we're doing so that we can hear more about what they need and then we can create the supports. So I think that we're on the right track. It's just that we're a little bit behind. We started later than those other places. Well, hopefully we, we get up to speed on that. <laughs> Why do you think caregiving can have such a big impact on the caregiver's mental health? Did is, and if you want to talk about this, is this something that you experienced and, and how did you recognize the symptoms? Yeah, I, um, I really struggled with my mental health um, during caregiving. And it was really stark for me because I'd never struggled with my mental health before. And so I had no idea what was happening. Looking back, it seems like it should have been so obvious. I was having trouble sleeping. I was irritable, snapping at people, I was super anxious. Um, and I just like, couldn't focus or do anything. And I didn't know why. And so it took a while of being in a really bad place for me to finally kind of be able to step back and realize that, yeah, maybe I was snapping at my partner, but it wasn't because of anything they were doing. It was just because I was completely burnt out and it took me a long time to figure that out. But once I did, then I was able to start taking care of it and recognizing it and kind of, you know, trying to fix it, which eventually I'm doing a lot better now, but that's great. <laughs> That's but great. I think that it really hits, um, at least young caregivers, I feel, um, or at least in my experience, it really hits for two kind of main reasons. One is that, you know, you're in your twenties, you're supposed to be figuring out your life. You're in, usually you're in school of some sort, full-time school, or you're full-time working. Um, and you're trying to have a social life. You're trying to meet people, make, make those relationships that you're going to have for the rest of your life. And then you're adding a whole nother set of responsibilities, which will be hard at any age. Um, so that I think isn't specific to young caregivers, but trying to manage that time and add in all of these responsibilities when you already like didn't have a lot of time. Like there's that joke that when you're in school, you know, there's sleep and there's studying and there's having a social life and you get to pick two. Now I kind of felt like I had to pick one. So it was really hard. <laughs> but the other side of it, I think that adds a lot of stress and anxiety is um, not knowing how good of a job you're doing because there's no instruction manual. There's no, nobody's telling you if you're doing good or not. You're just trying to figure it out as you go. Um, and I was always constantly very anxious that I was missing something, you know, a bill that I didn't even know about wasn't getting paid, that kind of thing. Um, or even bigger things like benefits and supports that she could be getting that I didn't know about or know how to access. So I was always worried about something that I, you know, could have been doing, but wasn't. So I never felt like I was doing good enough. And it was really hard to find that balance between my life and my school and taking care of my mom because of that. No, you managed the ability to socialize has also been limited by COVID. And that might be one avenue that people would use to manage their mental health 
at a time like this? You know, given that situation, are there any resources that you did use to help you yourself at this time? For socializing, no, but you are definitely right that that was really hard because I think that caregivers um, are prone to isolation anyway because you're mm-hmm. dealing with something that you know the people around you aren't. And so you feel isolated because they don't necessarily understand what you're going through. Um, but your friends, if you talk to them and open up to them, they may not understand, but they'll be able to support you through it. But that's kind of a hard wall to get over. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like what I talked about earlier, being open. It's really difficult. And so then when um, COVID hit, because of the age I am too, this did get worse because I was at university in a city and almost everybody I knew when that first wave hit, we all went home. We all left. I moved. I moved out of the city. So I was gone. I was in a new place and I didn't know anybody there. So I was only talking to people digitally. And that was really hard. Um, You don't realize how much it matters. We all went through this. You don't realize. And then suddenly you don't have that connection. So I don't have any resources for how I helped with that isolation, except that I really put a lot of work into maintaining my friendships because they were super important for me getting through this for sure. Any other resources that you use specifically to help your mental health during that time or, or any advice that you might have for other young people that are struggling with their mental health due to their caregiving role? Yeah, I am. At the beginning, when I started to look into resources, that peer support group was the biggest thing that helped me. That validation that I got from hearing other people say that you're doing good, that was huge. And other people in your situation who know what you're going through and saying you're doing good. That was very hard to find from other resources. So that was the biggest thing. I did, um, because I was in a university and I did have health coverage, I reached out to the university mental health um, counseling services. They were helpful, but they were quite limited. Um, There was no budget in our health coverage for any therapy or any professional help that wasn't provided by the university. And so that was solely counseling. And so that was kind of a shortcoming of our health coverage. And I think that our, um, you know, OPE as well, like it doesn't cover those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for mental health resources because you end up paying out of pocket, which I did. Um, I went to therapy, I got a therapist and I paid out of pocket. And that was really hard for me because grad school is not a luxurious lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think it points to a huge gap in the system for us all, but especially if you're the, the one-two punch of you know, you know, being in university uh, and also being a caregiver at the same time. That's that's a lot. So I think those are two segments of the population that really need those resources available to them. So, but it's good advice to sort of dig around and see what might be available. Um, if there are listeners that we have, and I hope that they're tuning in right now who are caregivers, uh, you know, under the age of 25 and are interested in participating in this great study that you're doing, how can they contact you? That is a great question. So to enter the study, you can contact Dr. Christine Newman at christine.newman at ryerson.ca. So that's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E and Newman is N-E-W-M-A-N. You could also ask a staff member at OCO since they're partner of the study, they should be able to direct you to the study. But, you know, even if just one person, one caregiver, one family member, anybody in the community um, contacts us, it would be amazing. It's been really tough finding people and we're really trying to be as creative as possible. Well, I know that there are more people out there that can relate to your situation and that would probably love to have their voice heard in this uh, in this study. And I know that you sharing your story will also help them. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can access more details about support services on our website, ontariocaregiver.ca. Until next time, I'm Michelle Jobin, and you have been listening to Time to Talk, a podcast for caregivers. We hope you have a wonderful day.